Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. We're reading from 1 Peter 4, verse 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to miss this. That's good. Well, friends, um, I just want to begin again by just saying a massive thank you. Thank you for having me as a pastor here. Thank you um, to Pastor Al for just your your leadership and for Aaron, um, your leadership as well, brother, and Zoe and all those who I've had the beautiful blessing of serving alongside here. I've learned so much. Um, I've been in a a season, even having been a pastor before, of just increased learnings, I feel, at my time at New Life Brisbane. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to celebrate publicly. I'm going to take two minutes because what are you going to do? Um, Two minutes is this. I want to celebrate quickly three things that God's done in my life and my family's life through New Life Brisbane. Number one, and I'll get emotional now. Number one is that my wife Casey and I came to New Life Brisbane as wounded, tired people. And I say it often, but literally as we gathered each week here, God would rebuild our hearts. Number two, my son, about halfway back there at Easter last year, became a Christian and responded to the gospel. And so, like, that happened here. My son now walks with Jesus, loves Jesus. God willing, we'll baptize him next year. And that's because of the faithful preaching of the gospel here at New Life Brisbane. And number three, I wouldn't be in ministry, back in ministry, if it wasn't through a prophetic word that someone gave in my time here at New Life Brisbane, at a conference that we were at. And so with that, I have so much to be thankful for. But I'm going to shut up now and preach the text, because that's what I like doing best. So... Friends, welcome to church. We are currently, see what I did there? Quick switch over, because I'm going to cry. We are currently in a series on 1 Peter, where we're looking at the letter that Peter writes to a dispersed people, an exile, a people who are oppressed because they are living the ways of Jesus in a culture that doesn't have a grid for that. Peter writes this letter to, to kind of communicate this resounding theme, and it's this. There is hope in suffering. Doesn't matter what suffering you go through, it means a lot to God. It's very significant. We never want to minimize it. But there is hope on the edge and on the end of every piece of suffering that you go through. That's the imperative of the gospel, is that there is always hope. That though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God says to you that you can actually fear no evil. Because he's going to hold you. He's going to set out a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And Peter writes this beautiful letter, and Peter shows us his pastoral heart. He shows us his pastoral heart. And in this letter, Peter begins kind of the first few chapters. 
It's a crying thing. He begins this first few chapters by teaching into the ways of thinking. Because Peter knows that it's going to be very important that people in a culture that are experiencing oppression, you need to think the right way. You need to have your mind formed by the gospel. You need to have your worldview formed by the word of God. And I love this. Like When I was at Bible college about a decade ago, because I'm getting old now, when I was at Bible college, I had a few friends from the church that I was going to, and they're like, oh, that's good that you're doing Bible college, Dylan, that you're kind of giving your life to theology. They're like, I'm more of a kind of emotional feeler. And like, so I'll leave the theological stuff to you. And I'm like, that's a theological statement. It was a joke too. <laughs> Two, three years and you still don't understand my humor. It's fine. So Peter, what he's going to do is he, he, he says the first few chapters and he, and he wants to communicate. Number one, think right about God. It's going to inform the way that you inhabit your time as exiles. But Peter's not going to stop there. And Peter's going to move the people along to actually needing them to live a certain way. And Peter's going to take a shift now and and kind of shift our minds over from this. Number one, orthodoxy, right way of belief, action, and conviction. Super important. But now in in chapter four, we're going to move over to look at orthopraxy, the right way of doing, of being, and of acting. Because friends, if we want to leave this world and we want to be a people here who change this world for the gospel, if we want to leave an eternal footprint, it can't just be that we're nerding out over theology, as good as that is, it must, doctrine must lead to devotion. Right ways of thinking must lead to right ways of practice. We must have both. We must have theologically informed, robust formation in the ways of Jesus and yet be a people who are also beautifully captivated by others' love. Who know what it is to become seen in front of God. Who don't hide in the scriptures to just get information, but that information must lead to revelation so that it changes our witness. Orthodoxy to orthopraxis, it must happen. Peter's now going to kind of pastorally begin to take us on this journey of shifting gears. Because if we live in one land without the other, we are not growing up into maturity. John Wimber once said years ago about things of the Spirit versus the Bible, and he said, all Scripture, all Word, you're going to dry up. All Spirit, you're going to blow up. Right? Anyone experienced that, or is that just Dylan's upbringing? All Spirit, you're going to blow up. Word and Spirit, we grow up. And the same is with The Bible and our living, it must change our actions. The scriptures must change our actions. If you're going to be someone who's so deeply rooted in the scriptures, but it's never going to change your lives, it's not God's complete plan for you. It must lead to a change of heart and of desire. A famous person who, I don't actually know who it was, once said this, said that in the West, Our main issue is that we are educated beyond our level of obedience. I did two degrees at Bible college, and yet I struggle to love my neighbor sometimes. I did a master's of social work, and some days I was the least loving social worker that I'd ever experienced in my life. And the point here is this, that we need to push against being educated beyond our level of obedience. And Pastor Peter today is going to kind of give us some really good ways of doing life so that we actually let our convictions, what we believe, actually change our heart. Are you going to come alongside me for the journey today in this? Let's go. All right. And that's the shift that he's trying to make. Peter kicks off the scripture 
tonight with this. He says this, the end is near. And I don't know what you think or hear when the end is near. I think of this. Can you put up the next screen, please, Cass? Next one, sorry. <laughs> Left behind. I'm judging by that amount of laughter that I haven't completely nailed that illustration. But I talked to a few people who had experienced Left Behind. Let me tell you what Left Behind is. Left Behind is this movie that kind of came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. Basically, it was set in this kind of apocalyptic setting where what would happen is, is that these people would be just going on about their life and then at some point Jesus came back. The Christians got raptured up and then like an apocalyptic outbreak happened. It's not landing, is it? There was this one scene, my favorite scene. Maybe if you were like me and you grew up in more charismatic circles, <laughs> Left Behind was probably a movie that you watched. And there was this one scene where there was this dude here and he's shaving. He's like, he's just there and the kids are like, Daddy, are you coming to dinner? And he's like, darling, I just need to shave for a while. And he's shaving. And then all of a sudden, he gets raptured up into heaven, disappears, and the shaver's just there on the ground going, zzzz. <laughs> That's kind of this, right? And unfortunately, when we hear the words, the end is near by Peter, for, for three of us, our mind goes there. <laughs> for three of us, our mind goes there. And unfortunately, this whole idea of the end being near has been kind of tainted and hurt by movies such as this, or by kind of those like, evangelical preachers who are screaming at people, being like, turn, burn, the end's near. The mark of the beast is here because we've got a credit card. I'm going to stop so I don't get in trouble. <clears throat> Yet what remains is this. The Apostle Peter actually said these words as well. He said that the end is near. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came, was born of a Virgin Mary, he lived a life, and he died, and he went away. And the in-between bit that we find ourselves now is that we are the people of God, the redeemed who await Jesus Christ coming back. So the end is near. Because Jesus is going, inaugurated, the new heavens and the new earth beginning to come close to us. The theologians call this the time of the now and not yet. We live in an in-between period. And Peter says, the end is near. So friends, the end is near. We're not going to get raptured, though, maybe. I won't like, challenge your theology on that one. But the end is near. And what Peter does now is Peter's going to move our minds in these scriptures, and he's going to actually show us this, that because the end is near, it calls for us to be a people who live with conviction in a world that doesn't embrace what we think. We need to actually change our way of doing and being, combine the head, the heart, and the hands to be the people of God that we would show the beautiful good news of the gospel. And so in this, Peter, I believe that Peter kind of highlights us a few things. And he highlights us a few pursuits that we are to endeavor on. And he asks the question, the time is running short, so how do we live? Because we sit between in the now and the not yet. Jesus could come back any moment. I pray he does. Revelation tells us that when Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. But we can't just sit there waiting for that to happen and not have a life that's changed by the gospel. I'm not just going to sit there in my ivory tower, read the Bible, and cloister myself away from people. The end is near. The end is coming. But let's be a people who change our lives and put ourselves on the right trajectory. So tonight I want to delve into the ways that Peter invites us into. And really what it is is this, pursuit. Peter's going to tell us that there's some things coming. He's going to tell us that there are some things that you can seek out. And I would encourage us as the people of God to seek these very things out. As I go through and I say a couple of these lines here, I really would like you to write it down. 
go away and meditate on the scriptures and take forth and chase forth what God has for you. Because he longs that you would pursue him. He longs that you would pursue him. And so number one, we're going to look at this. Is point number one. Peter talks about this, pursuing prayer. 1 Peter 4 verses 7 says this, The end of all things is, there, is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. In Peter's theology, prayerful, prayerlessness doesn't come because we're lazy. It, becomes, it comes because often we take our eyes off of the one thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ. So he says this, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. And I wonder whether that resonates in your spirit tonight. We are in an age where we are so just caught up in everything. Life moves at a pace of a million miles an hour. I'm worried about interest rates going. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about this. And all these things take my mind off of the presence of God and take me away from prayer. And so Pastor Peter kind of talks to us and he says, be alert. So be in the world. Don't be one of those nutcases who lives up on a hill. Be in the world. But be of sober mind. So, so that you can pray. In other words, pursue prayer. Pursue prayer. The reason that is that the end is near. And here we see two exhortations for Peter on how we should live in light of the end. Pursue prayer. And within this, so we can kind of break it up into two main points. Number one, how are you to live because of prayer? Without fear. Live without fear. Christians, you are not meant to fear. Some of you may be even fearing the end times because of some like, really bad theology. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus is coming back. Do not fear where culture's at at the moment. Seek to redeem it. Do not get so blown away with this and that, with all these kind of weird philosophies and weird doctrine and weird theology. Put your face towards Jesus and do not fear. Friends, we have an eternal hope. So don't fear. In prayer, do not fear. And number two is this, lean in, do not lean out. Don't withdraw from the society that's around you. I talk to so many of my friends, and they're like, have you seen this agenda going on at the moment? There's this going on over here, we've got all these kind of things, I'm going to get the microchip because I've got a credit card, blah, blah, blah. No, Christians, we are the ones who are to lean in because we lean into the Father's embrace, and while doing that, we lean into a world that's hurting. Lean in, don't withdraw. Be alert, be of sober mind. Be alert. The influence of the end should function as a stimulus, should, should really encourage us to move forward and to put our faces on Jesus. The knowledge that we are believers, the knowledge that we are sojourners, that we are exiles, should make us redeem the time that we spend here with God. So we lean in, we don't lean back. We push forward in relationships, we don't fear. Perfect love has cast out fear for us. Amen? So we lean in. Those who know history, they can assess the significance of the present. We know where the story started. We know where the story is going. And we know where it's going to finish. And so us as the people of God, lean in in prayer. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Pursue prayer. I don't know if you've got kids. I do. Clearly two of them who are crazy. And what happens is that often when, in my house, we have kind of a, an hour of screen time. We like to try and have an hour. 
And what I do is we try and hold the kids out for 11 o'clock because if we don't get them to 11 o'clock, if we put it on before that, there's going to be like a deliverance ministry needed because the kids are just full on. But if we let that time kind of go beyond that, then that means that my wife and I are going to go to bed at midnight because our kids are going to be so stimulated by social media and by, not social media, they're not on Facebook, by this stuff. <laughs> but what happens is that I put a timer on now and I put my phone down and I put 15 minutes on, usually at 10.45. And I say, Jonah and Elsie, you got 15 minutes till this thing is going on. 15 minutes. And you can see that like, as the timer moves forward, they get more and more kind of like excited and like, they just start to do this like little twitch and they're like, oh, it's coming on. And like, they get really nuts and I'm like, what's going on? It's dopamine. Satan's work <laughs> through the TV box is going on. That's what's going on. And then, then you turn it off and it kind of gives like this, this like audio visual image of like Jesus casting out the demon into the pigs. Sorry, it's a joke. Dylan's going loose. That's a joke. I'll, I'll come back. That's my kids when you get them off watching TV. But the point is this, is that in the lead up, to that going on, my kids get more and more excited because they know that what's going to happen is, is that the TV box is going on. And for us, those who know Jesus, those who love Jesus, we know what's going to come. So we should be therefore more present, more delighted in God. We should take of him more sweetly. We should find ourselves captivated in the majesty of our love as the beloved in front of God because we know what's coming. And that's why we pray. And that's what keeps us alert. And that's what keeps us sober-minded. We know the end. Martin Luther was once asked a question. And this is the next point. Number two, point two, pursue virtues. It says this, verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter exhorts his readers here to pursue virtues of the kingdom, to actually redeem their time to actually look forward and go, you know what? Jesus is coming back, but there's a way in which he calls me to live, and I'm going to pursue that. And can you imagine if you were persecuted, oppressed, hurt, all of these different things, what would you do? I'd find myself probably crippled in, with fear. And Peter says, no, 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 let this redeem this time by pursuing the virtues of the kingdom. Love, hospitality, stewardship, gifts, Martin Luther was asked once upon a time, and they, someone said to Martin Luther, look, Martin, my boy Martin, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? You know what Martin Luther said? He said two things. He said, I'd plant a tree and pay taxes. And Martin Luther was met by some people, and there's some really fascinating commentary who were like, that's quite unspiritual, Martin. You wouldn't like consecrate your life to God more. He's like, no, no, I'd, I'd, I'd plant a tree and I'd pay taxes. I'd go on doing the things that I've always done because in that is the worship of God in a community and in a time where God is not known. It's a, it's a bridging of the sacred and the secular and everything kind of becomes sacred when we live in such a way that we want to see God glorified. So friends, the end is near. Be alert, be sober-minded, but also pay your taxes and plant a tree. Because in doing that, as you pursue the virtues of the kingdom, the king comes and takes reign and rule in your heart. As you pursue the ways of Jesus, it's beautiful, beautiful news for you. Plant trees and pay taxes. And Peter now makes some great teaching points, and he instructs his followers on what this actually looks like. And he says what it looks like when we begin to do this in the household of God, when we begin to love others, when we begin to pursue gifts, when we begin to open up our home for people, 
They're the virtues of the kingdom. And I love that Pastor Peter says this, and I think he says it for a reason. Three reasons why. Number one, because you're going to find it hard to love people sometimes. We're like, of course, Peter, you tell me to love people. I'm a Christian. I love everyone. I think we can all grow in that area. You're going to find it hard to love people. So Peter says, face your eyes, put your eyes on that like face like flint and chase after that virtue of the kingdom, love. Number two, if you open your home, you will have seasons of being tired at doing this. Casey and I have had small groups in various different groups, church plants, everything in our home for close to 10 years now. Some seasons I'm like, let's throw the rug out, get the best wine out and celebrate with the Lord's people. Other seasons I'm like, I could take a four-week holiday and close my home and barricade it. (laughs) Then there are other seasons when I was a youth pastor and you'd have that awkward youth kid who would come like three and a half hours early. And you're like, oh, it's lovely to see you, John. Small group, connect group starts at four o'clock, not seven o'clock. And that was before kids. Anyway, so Peter knows this though, right? That we're going to have seasons where things are quite hard and complex. And number three, you will want to use your gifts for your own glory. He says, he goes on in the next verse to say, steward your gifts for the service of others. If you speak, do it in such a way that honors God. If you're serving others, do it in such a way that makes them know that God is beautiful, beautiful, and beautiful. And there's a reality check here for our hearts, is that though we as the people of God are redeemed and indwelt by the presence and power of God, we also have moments where Satan roars around and seeks to kind of take our eyes off of serving God and put it onto ourselves. And so I wonder in that moment, I wonder if you're going through a hard season at the moment, whether you're just tired and you're burnt out. You're like, oh, is this ministry thing worth it? I just say, pursue again the virtues of the kingdom. If you're there like, I don't know about these spiritual gifts, and blah, just pursue God in this season. If you're like, I'm very tired about opening up my home, I've got a young family, stuff's really full on. I'm not saying to do one thing, but I'm saying to fix your eyes on Jesus, to pursue the virtues of the kingdom and see maybe how God would reorientate something in your lives through doing that. That's point number two. And point number three, and I love this one, number three is pursue the gifts. In verse 10, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. What Paul, Peter does here is continues this theme of ministering to people. And he says that the Christians have been given a spiritual gift of various types to minister the love of God to people. And my question from the outset would be this. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Like, there's one thing in my Christian life that has just continued to get me excited about the things of God and its spiritual gifts. Peter says, use your gifts of various kinds to serve people. The word is is the charisma, the charismata, the, the gifts of God that he's given you. It's a birthright, but it's a gift. You get given it when you have the Spirit of God dwell and indwell your heart when you give your life to Jesus, but it's to be used for the service of others. And so my question, what is your gift? And if you weren't using your gift, how would the fellowship here not be blessed by that? And I found over the years that I've been preaching and speaking and teaching on spiritual gifts, it bewilders me the amount of people who don't know A, what spiritual gifts are, or B, what theirs are. 
And if you want to go and look at it, you can look in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, all these different places. But I'd really put it to you pastorally this afternoon. Chase out your spiritual gifts. Because Peter kind of assumes here that the people would know what their gifts are. He assumes here that they know that there's going to kind of be two different ways. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Over here, there's going to be tongues, miracles, prophecy, all these different things. Over here, there's going to be kind of service, leadership, hospitality, love, all these beautiful, beautiful things. But the point being, what is your spiritual gift? And how can you become a conduit of the indwelling presence of God to bless our community through that? And when we do good teaching and when we go into Peter's words on spiritual gifts, friends, we don't have to fear excess. I've I've taken people through seasons where... They've, been, they've kind of received an impartation of a spiritual gift, and, it's, and some people around are like, that's weird. They're like, that's bizarre. And the point is, is that if we lean into our spiritual gifts, if we see them as a way to serve the body, we will not get carried away into excess or craziness. We will be people who allow ourselves to become an open heaven for God to work through individuals. So if someone has a prophetic word, it's just normalized. It's seen as encouragement. If someone is gifted to preach the word of God, they're going to do so to encourage and edify the congregation. If someone is there with a gift of hospitality, they're going to be chipping away, making food for the glory of God and the good of all of God's people. That's why spiritual gifts are very, very important. So number one, what is your spiritual gift? And number two, why do you use them? Check your heart, check your motive. Tozer says this quote, and I love it. He says, Revivals or any other spiritual gifts and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. Friends, salvation is a free gift of God given by grace, given to you at the moment by which you put your heart, trust, and faith in Jesus. There are some things in the Christian journey that aren't just kind of like instantly given or instantly made aware of. And Toza goes on, and please don't pay attention to the gendered language. It may be said without qualification that every man or woman is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he or she wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. Pursue the gifts of the Spirit. Pursue spiritual gifts. Pursue them so that you can serve people around you. So again, do you know your gifts? And Peter continues to kind of drill this home. Do you know your gifts? Do you know your speaking gifts? Do you know your serving gifts? But would you take all of them and put them at the feet of Jesus? And the last point is this, point number four, the most beautiful point of all. Pursue glorifying Jesus through every single thing that you do as you wait for Jesus Christ to come back. Pursue Jesus. Why? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. A beautiful, beautiful scripture. Spiritual endeavor without the gospel of Jesus at at the center is vain religion. If we don't want to seek to see Jesus elevated, lifted up, glorified in everything, it's vain religion. It's rubbish spirituality. Everything is about Jesus for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Everything is about Jesus for Jesus. Every single thing in the Bible, everything that's preached, proclaimed, every pastoral epistle that is written is about Jesus Christ. It's about his death, his resurrection, his life. And Peter bookends this section of um, chapter four and he says, 
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And so with that, friends, I wanted tonight whether you'd stand with me now as we, as we finish up, as the band comes up. And what I want to do now is, is simply just put the call out, and it's this. If something in the pursuit that Jesus has invited us into through the words of First Peter sticks out to you tonight, I'm going to have kind of three and four, or four main categories. And I'd love now, as every head is bowed, I want to just pray over us and with us. And then after that, invite us to come up the front for prayer. We're going to have a prayer team here in the worship time. Please, please come up for prayer. But number one is this. If you feel in this moment that God might be bringing you into a space and encouraging you into the space of prayer, and I'd say that he's doing that for all of us, but if you particularly feel that there's some kind of anointing or something that's coming on your life and God's inviting you into that space, or that you're in a season that's been a bit of a desert season, but you're coming out of it now, and there's like this, this new mantle of prayer that God wants to give you, maybe for this church as well. I wonder now, as every eye is, is closed and every head is bowed, whether you just be as bold enough to put your hand up and whether we could just pray for you. Thank you. And so, Lord, in this moment, for those who put their hand up and responded to a feeling of a, of a, a call back, a spirit of prayer, fresh on their lives, Lord, we as a community of God just pray for a fresh release in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that you would increase your anointing upon each of these people, Lord. Isn't it funny, Lord, that in these end times, in these end days, in these moments, Lord, there are houses of prayer being just established everywhere. And in Jesus' name, we just call forth the spirit of prayer on each of these individuals, Lord. In Jesus' name, would you faithful men and women of God be established in this time as a person of prayer to serve this community. Amen. And secondly, if you're feeling that the Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart and you're wanting to freshly chase after God and really go after His ways, maybe you're kind of convicted of sin in this moment and you want to pursue the virtues of the kingdom. Again, with every eye closed, I want to extend it out to you now. Would you raise your hand if you feel like God in this moment is saying, brother, sister, now is the time to pursue again the virtues of the kingdom. I wonder whether you'd raise your hand now. Thank you. So Lord, I ask right now in Jesus' name, what a noble task to pursue the ways of Jesus, whether it's through our workplace, through the local fellowship, through our church, in our family, in our business, Lord. And for those who put their hand up right now, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, I bless what you're doing in their lives. I bless, Lord, for just the work of the Holy Spirit that is beginning to show them and release to them afresh what it looks like to live a virtuous life in an age of destruction and a lack of virtues. And so, Lord, I ask for a blessing to be on them right now, in Jesus' name. And thirdly, if you're in a season and you're like, why did this dude keep saying the word spiritual gifts? And either you don't know what your spiritual gifts are or you're scared to step back into them again. Or in this moment, you'd actually like to receive a new spiritual gift. Again, as God's eye is upon you in this moment, as he speaks and sings over you that you are the beloved, I wonder whether you'd put your hand up now and I'd love to just pray 
for a fresh impartation of Holy Spirit's gifts in this moment. And I wonder whether now actually, let's do this, it's better than just coming from me, is that if you want to keep your hand up now, we're just going to get a few people around to, to pray and believe God. So can we, as a people of God now, just begin to lay, <clears throat> lay a hand on these individuals or just extend your hand if no one's near you. There's power in prayer. There's power in gathered prayer. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to be here with us right now. We love, Lord, that you're moving by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love, Lord, that the ways and the works of the Spirit did not cease in the early church, Lord, because where there is the gospel needing to go forward, there is a new need for the empowering presence of you, Lord. And so right now, in Jesus' name, we would pray just for a fresh impartation and release of spiritual gifts. In Jesus' name, Lord. Lord, we, we bring to mind the spiritual gifts in Romans, in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians, Lord, whether that's tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, service, hospitality, all these different things, Lord. Right now, in response to your word, not in a state of hype, in response to your word, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, a fresh release of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, a fresh fire of the Almighty to fall on each person right now. Lord, would you consecrate these people? And Lord, I pray even in this moment, I pray anything that you've given me, Lord, I release tenfold in Jesus' name. Lord, make my gifts look just minute like little ants compared to how generous and gracious it is that you want to release. And with that, Lord, we release a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit too, the fresh power of God to fall right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And friends, lastly, if you don't know Jesus yet and this journey of pursuit doesn't make sense, I would just say to you right now, again, every eye is closed and every head is bowed. If you would like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior in this moment, would you lift your hand right now? As we always say, if there is no one, it's fine. But we'd hate to not put the call out. So, Lord, we bless you. We love what you're doing in this gathering, Lord. We sit here now, Lord, as people faced forward towards the King, Lord, and we say we are ready to worship you right now, King Jesus, in response to your word. We are ready, Lord, to bring you praise. We are ready, Lord, to bring up a beautiful offering to your name, to the one who deserves it all, Lord. You deserve it all. Catch us up, Lord, in your glory. Take us away, Lord. Blow us away with your presence right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.